Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Talking Addiction and Recovery, and we need to do just that, which is have a serious talk. In all different aspects of what I do, having conversations with patients, with clients, with coworkers, with members of the family, loved ones, community, there's different ways that I approach subjects and conversations where sometimes I use humor. Sometimes it's a very down-to-earth, laid-back conversation. Sometimes it's more of that inquisitive, asking questions, kind of exploratory. But there are times where the tone needs to have a lot of seriousness and sincerity and genuineness about what's been talking about. And this reminds me of times where I'm sitting with someone and they're doing something or engaging in some behavior, and I'm concerned that they leave my office and it's a time where they might not come back so when it's someone with addiction it could be that they're using heavily they don't seem to be making any awareness or progress towards stopping or getting help and I might be worried that they are going to walk out of their use and I've got this feeling that they're not going to be coming back or it used to be when I was in residential treatment and residents would be discharged from the program transitioning out back in the community and there are times where somebody maybe they weren't getting it they didn't make the progress that we thought they were and I didn't know what else to say except you know kind of lay it all out there put on the table and that's where the graduation letters in the book addiction recovery come from where those were times when it was a lasting for me to say like what is it that I need to tell them what do I need to say to them that I hope will bridge them into continued recovery when they left those doors because when they left either you found out quite quickly that they were either doing well and maintaining that or you heard about people overdosing fatally ending up in hospitals or going back to being incarcerated so there are times where I know I need to have this seriousness hey let's let's need to pay attention here and talk and lay it all out there not in a way that's going to be harmful to someone or degrade someone or try and beat somebody down, but that tone of, listen up, we need to have this talk, is what I'm using right now. And the whole issue is the killing of George Floyd has sparked movement across the nation and world regarding issues of racism, oppression, inequality, and injustice. The first couple of days, there was a tremendous amount of information and viewpoints being shared across you know, all platforms. And normally, I try and sit back and process everything that's going on because I don't want to react. One of the big things that I talk with people about is that difference between responding and reacting. So for me, I'm like a sponge where I'm trying to take in information, trying to sort out what's going on, process in me what's happening, and then decide what I want to do with it but in that meantime there's silence that can happen and that was a really big factor recently with all this stuff going on because I came across this quote that was like this this punch to my gut that was a light bulb moment in how I viewed myself when it came to what happened to George Floyd and issues surrounding racism and the quote is If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. 
And that really, that hit me really, really hard. Like stopping my tracks, my mind almost just hit this like moment of, wait a minute, wake up here. Because all of a sudden it made me realize that in those situations, looking at what was going on, what was happening, what was this side saying, what was that side saying, I was sitting in that position of being silent and acting as if I was being neutral, trying to understand both of what was going on, but also not saying anything. And silence puts you in that position of being neutral. And that issue of silence really struck a chord. And from there, it has really led this personal inventory about issues related to racism and, and being silent. When it comes to silence, I wrote this piece about secrets back in 2016. The title of it is called The Strength of Our Secrets. I'm going to read it right now to then kind of springboard into where silence fits into this. So the title of it is The Strength of Our Secrets. Our secrets can have a powerful hold on us. While these secrets become our responsibility, they often have a devastating impact on those near us. The secrets we keep and hold to ourselves become hidden from others. We protect them. We support them. We are afraid of what might happen if these secrets are exposed to others and be known. So with these fears, we hide them by keeping them in the dark. But the more we hide them, it builds in its power and strength, like a tornado. It becomes a dark and powerful force surrounding us, causing us to be disconnected and harm others in the process. In a strange sense, we actually feel safe, just like at the center of the tornado. We hope and think we can control the secrets, maintain them, or at least minimize the damage caused. We wishfully think we can still fix things or help with the desperation of still being able to hold on to the secrets. But the more we reach out and attempt to do so, we cause harm, similar to how the tornado causes more harm and damage. The way a secret loses power is to expose it. Let go of it, verbalize it, make it known to the outside from which this tornado has kept it enclosed in the darkness and misery. The moment we expose a secret, it loses its power almost instantaneously. Think of the moment a tornado suddenly disappears into the sky. As it vanishes into the clouds, the sky opens and the sun appears. We are finally able to see all the destruction and disaster our secrets have caused. It's a fear we dreaded. But now we can face those fears because the power of the secret is no longer having a hold over us. The secret being exposed does not relieve us of the responsibility of the decisions we've made, but the power it holds over us is significant in the, in the process. Now we can connect to others. We can problem solve and find ways to overcome the destruction. We can begin to clean up the destruction and debris that was caused by our secrets. It will take time. It will take patience. But the process cannot begin with the tornado still around. And the only way to overcome its strength and power is to expose our secrets. Now I want you to imagine that the secret we are keeping is silence. Silence is a form of secret keeping. And over the last couple days, and thinking about silence, this is really not shocking to me. It's almost shocking that I didn't realize it earlier or ahead of time. I know how silence is damaging. I have seen the destruction caused by silence 
with addiction and mental health, for the individual being silent and not asking for help can have tragic consequences. When a parent doesn't want to talk about or acknowledge their child's mental health, that's a problem. When a community doesn't want to talk about drugs or the opioid epidemic, that is concerning. In the work of addiction and mental health, these have been areas where at first I thought like doing things one-on-one with the person was most important. Instead of saying a whole lot and trying to be like this advocate and to voice so many things, I was like, I I really want to just help people. I want to sit down with someone in my office and work with them. And I was believing that I could help that one person. And by helping that one person, that person could go out and be better for the larger group in society. So I really threw myself into working with that individual person. And that was my focus. And I really thought that that's what was the best thing for me to do instead of trying to fix these larger problems, these larger issues at hand and being new and younger in my career. I didn't think that that was where I was supposed to go with doing stuff. I didn't think it was about trying to be a big advocate for larger issues related to addiction and mental health systematic issues in relation to it i just thought helping this one person was the best thing that i could do now where i am today is a lot different with you know almost 16 years of doing this i started to realize that helping just that wasn't that one person wasn't going to be enough and staying silent about issues that are larger was going to take more than helping one person. It was going to take a voice to talk and share about some of those things. And don't get me wrong, helping one person is amazing and it's wonderful. It's one of the things I love doing most. But I was silent on things that weren't going to get taken care of. I've always heard about stigmas about people with substance use disorders and mental health issues being treated unfairly. That's not new to me. I know all about things with discrimination or being treated unequal in regards to someone having a substance use issue. But I was remaining blind to the issue of racism that was going on as well. And with people that I worked with, people that I worked alongside with, and people that I knew in the community and and friends that I have. So over time, it became clear that I wanted to have a bigger impact and make potential change. I was going to need to act And that action was focused on no longer being silent. There were important issues that needed to be addressed vocally in order to make change. And without that voice, there's a good chance it was going to remain in the shadows, which is what I was talking about in that writing about secrets. And I started focusing on talking to people around me, you know, family members, friends, loved ones of people with addiction, mental health, organizations in the community, I went and spoke one time in Madison, our state capital, when there was an issue being discussed about the opioid epidemic. As much as I was as much as I was doing treating people, speaking about those issues needed to happen. There was a point where it was this was what needed to be done. It couldn't just be done on the sidelines, silently hoping that something was going to change. A couple of months ago, before all the COVID nineteen stuff ha- hit, I did a presentation in the community about the stigmas towards mental health and counseling. Talking with a patient and a client about that 
is important, but it was more important than to shift that into this is a larger issue at hand. Talking to family members, talking to community members about the stigmas towards mental health and stigmas towards counseling needed to be done on a wider scale. Couldn't just do that with one person in my office. Writing a book was an example of reaching a wider audience. Doing this podcast is more about using a voice and being vocal about issues to reach wider necessary audiences about these issues. So it's nothing new to me that silence is dangerous. Silence causes a lot of problems. And in many times in the work of addiction and mental health, I know that silence can lead to tragic, fatal consequences. And it's really this self reflecting time where I'm noticing that I failed to see that with some of these other areas, especially the ones that need attention right now, like racism, inequality, and justice that's happening. So during this whole self-reflection, I'm seeing these parallels between staying silent with those issues and yet time and time again not recognizing it's been needed for that. So there are times where I wanted to be neutral where it was like, well, I I don't agree with that, but I'm not going to say anything about that. Or I'm not a fan of that. I think that's wrong. But what can I do? And a lot of times it was, you know, go back to being silent and try and help the person in front of you. If you got a client in front of you who's dealing with this issue, help that person out. But that isn't going to be enough to let people know where I stand with it and to voice things that I've seen with people that I know about these issues. So in making those connections and seeing those parallels, silence has been a part of how racism has continued to spread and impact the lives of people with color in this country. And I started to ask myself, where have I been silent about racism? Why was I silent? What impact does this have? Why didn't I speak about an issue like this or numerous ones that have happened before because this isn't just something that's happened right now a good quote that i came across too was a wound is not healed by denying its existence and right now there's a lot of wounds and there have been a lot of wounds there are plenty of wounds happening now and wounds that have been going on for years without being treated you know one of the best ways for us to treat a wound like this is to recognize it and speak about it we need to call attention to it we need to ask for help we need to have a conversation about it we need to work on ways to hold people accountable who caused the wounds and look at what was my part in it where can my part be in it going forward so that what we do is not causing wounds to people Even though the direct wound may not be on us, the fact that our neighbor, our person, our friend, someone else in this world is experiencing that means that healing needs to happen. Just because I'm not wounded doesn't mean someone else isn't wounded. And there's plenty of situations to go back on. And, you know, a lot of times I look back on when I worked at a group home that was out in a suburb of Milwaukee, but all the population of kids we had were inner city black kids 
for, for teenagers. And I know there were a lot of times where I missed recognizing those issues of racism or injustice. And there were times where I noticed it and saw it and then thought, well, what am I going to do about it? I'm in my early 20s trying to help these kids. And what am I going to do when it comes to larger systems, you know, like law enforcement and education and judicial, you know, stuff like that when I was taking them to court. So there are a lot of wounds that I've seen over time. And looking at that quote, denying its existence isn't helping it get better. I mean, that doesn't work that way. Just denying that there is someone who is wounded is not going to all of a sudden magically fix that. So there's, with all these wounds, we ask like, how do we, how do we even address all those? How do we even begin to look at fixing and healing from what has been years and years of oppression and injustice? And I, re- I started reading Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, and one quote that stands out is, the thing worse than rebellion is the thing that causes rebellion. And out of everything that's been going on, we have to look at what's going on underneath it because it's not just this one incident that's all about. But I can tell you this, if you have a problem with the killing of George Floyd, if you have a problem with a broken system, if you have a problem with looting, if you have a problem with rioting, if you have a problem with excessive police force, if you have a problem with how people treat one another because of their race, if you have a problem with oppression, if you have a problem with anything going on right now in relation to what has happened and the events that have unfolded, then it seems that there is a problem, and that problem is racism. Ice-T, who I first knew as a rap artist, hip-hop, but a lot of people know from his work with Law & Order, SVU, He tweeted recently, answers, I may not have all the answers, but definitely warned you about the problem for over 30 years. So time and time again, this isn't, hasn't been something that's brand new. This has been something going on. It's been building, you know, the pressure has been mounting and now all of a sudden something like this happens and it really sparked this chain of events of where we're seeing it spread out, not just in our own lives and the people that we're close to in our communities, in our state, in our nation, our country, but worldwide we've seen this have an impact. So this isn't just a problem with what happened to one person. It's been a problem with how we treat one another and specifically about how people of color have been treated. I believe many of us are doing a lot of self-reflection with how we've been treated or how we have treated others. I think many of us have not looked at what we have done when we have seen people being treated unfairly because of the color of their skin. And I think that there's this self-reflection going on where we're going to look back and look at some things and see some things and not recognize some stuff We're seeing a lot of people look at things like saying I'm not a racist or I don't see color and what does that all really mean? And when we look at those things, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to not feel the best. It's going to be uncomfortable. And 
that's part of what recovery requires. And that's a message from the playbook of addiction and recovery from addiction is change usually puts us in a spot to be uncomfortable. And we have to work through that and get more comfortable with the uncomfortable if we want things to change. And that's taking a look at some things that might make us question ourselves, make us look at things differently, realize where was I when this was going on? What was I doing? And I remember uh, I recently saw a video clip of Jane Elliott in which she was talking to an audience of white people and said, quote, I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens. If you as a white person would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. And then she says, you didn't understand the direction. If you white folks want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. And she says, nobody is standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening here. You know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you are so willing to accept it or allow it for others. And I watched that a few times and I shared that with some people too because I'm thinking if I was in that audience, I wouldn't have, st- I wouldn't have stood up and I probably wouldn't have said anything. I would have been in that neutral, silent, like, oh yeah, like now, you know, she's right. I would not want to be treated that way. But I'm just, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to try and argue that. I'm not going to try and, you know, dismiss that or, or say anything to go against it. But I wasn't also going to say, you know what? That's messed up. That's not right. I don't want to be, I wouldn't want to be treated the way someone, you know, like a black person might be treated when they get pulled over or racially profiled in a store. You know, that last sentence in that is really striking it, it really strikes me at least to that very core of you wouldn't want to be treated that way but are so willing to accept or allow it for others and going back to that first quote about the elephant and the mouse we wouldn't want to be that mouse with the elephant stepping on our tail but when that mouse is a different color and we see that and act neutral, our silence is a sign of acceptance and allowing that to happen. When that sort of thing comes into my head, I see that as more of a matter of the heart of where we are on our compassion, our empathy towards another human being and what they are experiencing. Whatever that elephant represents It's something that's larger than them and it's something that's hurting them. It's something that's damaging them. It's something that's causing, you know, fear, being scared and looking at that like I'm going to be neutral on that. You know, imagine seeing your fellow person being under that weight. In this case, we're talking about oppression and injustice and look at how you feel about that. Not not what you think about it, but how you feel about that. And there's a there's a lot of information and fact sharing circulating really everywhere with 
this digital age and social media and i know information and facts have their place i really do and this is not to dismiss the importance of it but i also believe that this is not going to be an issue solved purely by numbers sharing numbers spreading numbers and saying this is what's going on with this percentage and all that i'm not saying we dismiss it but if you don't look at a person and see who they are recognizing that and that human compassion and empathy the numbers won't matter they won't it's those numbers won't until you add in that core about what you feel about that and here's the reality of it which is why i'm saying this isn't about just numbers and statistics i don't need a statistic to show me that what happened to george floyd should not happen to anyone my heart deep down knows that what happened to him is wrong what happened to him should have never happened there have been way too many before george floyd who suffered and i don't need to see more in order to finally say hey we have a problem here i don't need more people that i've counseled or know or more people in the community dying of opioids to know that opioids is a problem. There are still some people who don't see that problem. And there are sometimes people have this, you know, they look at numbers and say things are this way or they're skewed or all this or how many. Like, in the end, those numbers don't matter when I look at that person who passed away. When I'm talking to a significant other who just informed me that their spouse passed away from an overdose. Or a set of parents who told me their child passed away from an overdose. That one number, that one person, that son, that daughter, that husband, that wife that brother, that sister, that mother, that father, that one person is what matters. So I knew that looking back on things like mental health with suicide and with addiction, with opioids and overdoses, you know, it wasn't, it didn't take all of these numbers to stagger and to build and to become overwhelming for me to say that there's a problem. I started seeing that problem years ago with opioids when we were bringing in new residents and for every resident that was discharged, another one that came in, it was always opioids, opioids, opioids. I never lost a client or patient in years of counseling until opioids. And that number has now surpassed to where counting that see counting takes away the humane side to it. That's part of how I have to really kind of protect myself from becoming desensitized to finding out that someone has passed away from a fatal overdose. And that's something that we probably have to look at when it comes to something like racism, being desensitized to Will this happen? This happened again. This is the numbers. 
and let's not talk about the numbers. You watch that video of what happened to George Floyd, and I don't need numbers to tell me anything about that. Just seeing what happened tells me that that was wrong. And that was wrong enough to where you can't be in that silent, neutral position. Being on the side of the oppressor, when the other person, that costs them their life, is not a spot where we can say, I'm going to be in silence. That is where silence as a secret is very deadly. And that's where we look at like this is this is a problem and a problem that has grown as strong as a tornado that has really never gone away. So how do we work on breaking silence when this storm has gotten so powerful and so strong and the damage that it has caused has crippled individuals, families, communities. And what it's doing today is until we work on breaking that silence, that tornado will continue to build in its strength. The more voices we have to share about it and talk about it vocalize it is really our only chance for that storm to go away so we can start to begin this recovery process and when you look at that tornado as the example which is why i use that when i wrote about it is it doesn't mean that it's over it's not just oh poof it's gone oh i'm relieved you know sometimes we look at that relief as what we are hoping for but that's not what that doesn't take away that tornado from coming back again. And with something like racism and injustice, that can happen quite quickly. Before we know it, another tornado pops up over here and it can gain strength really fast. So part of it is we have to look at this as silence and breaking that is one of the first steps to being able to remove the secret and damage caused by silence. So we can then look at the damage, take a look at what has happened. Then we can look at what do we need to do to clean this up? How do we get rid of the stuff we don't need anymore? We don't need this anymore. There's nothing that we can do with this. Or you know what? This thing wasn't helping us in the first place. We need to, we don't need to keep, we need to get rid of this. And then once we do that, we can look at a rebuilding process of putting things back together but also building new things that can be better for the people that we are trying to help and take care of in this case we're talking about people of color and that's really the way that it starts with breaking that silence as always When I do these podcast episodes, I've got tips. And these tips specifically focus on breaking the silence. Number one, speak against racism. Say that racism is not okay. Say that we need to do better, that we can do better. We can improve. 
we can do better when it comes to how we treat individuals of color. Talk about the need to make changes in ourselves, in one another, and even across larger systems in society. You see something that resembles an injustice, oppression, or someone treated unfairly because of the color of their skin, then speak about it. Voice that. Let that be known. Number two, become educated. You know, read books, listen to podcasts, take courses, you know, learn about issues about racism and equality in your personal and professional life. The one thing I've seen a lot from people that I connect with and that I am friends with and I know is I've been seeing a lot of people starting to soak up some knowledge about these issues. I'm seeing people post about books. Uh, I know a lot of people right now that are um, parents, newly parents. I'm already seeing them look at children's books related to racism. You know, I'm seeing people pull stuff about podcasts to listen to. And just, you know, people that I know who are in business are looking at the impact of that and everything. So this is an area where there's a lot out there and become more knowledgeable about what's going on in your community. I recently borrowed and purchased a few books myself. I've watched some documentaries and I start a couple. People are posting about those all over the place. And start building that way to become more knowledgeable of what's going on in relation to these issues. Number three is listen. Now I know that sounds contradictory to being silent because I'm first telling you to not be silent anymore. But here's where this comes into play. People of color have had their voices oppressed and silenced for way too long. You know, what we're talking about right now, black people of not being heard. And when they are being said, when something is being said, you know, how quickly is their dismissal to it? Or no, that's not a problem or an issue. That's not listening. You, we need to really take the time to listen to people. And how many times you've been hearing over the news or whatnot where someone made a comment, said something, and then the next day later on they say, you know what, I really need to listen to people. I need to listen to the community or people who are affected. Let's be clear about listening. It is not hearing and listening when someone talks to you and you proceed to tell them what you think about it or disagree with it. That's not that's not listening. That's probably arguing. Or at least I'll say that's having a conversation. Listening is also not about wanting to hear your opinion coming out of the other person's mouth. So being like, I w- yeah, I want to listen to you. Let's talk. And then you're hoping or wanting that person to say exactly what you think or to have the same opinion that you have. That's not listening. Listening is all about paying attention to what the other person is saying and being able to respond in a way that shows you heard what they said. Where that person feels like you have listened to them. They felt heard. And I could probably argue that a lot of people have felt not heard this comes down to basics and as a counselor this is a skill that we use practice a lot in sessions and we practice it 
in its simplest form that and there really is an art to listening so we need to start listening to people not telling people that their opinions wrong that their feelings are wrong or not why it happened or what's gonna happen but let's listen to someone to the point where they could say to us that I, I felt heard maybe that's what some people want is just to feel heard a fourth thing to do is have conversations in the past you know couple days i've talked to family members friends co-workers about all these issues related to what's been going on not shying away not being afraid not pretending like it's not happening not being like oh how are you doing just kind of like pretending to check in like i'm asking about that but i'm not going to ask about it having that conversation about where are you with this how are you with this how are you taking it what are you doing about it i've talked to my friend and she's one of the ones that i can have real straight down to with conversations about stuff like this and when we started talking i give her a lot of props one of the things at first when we processed how we were doing with it the question then became what are you going to do about it and we both talked about like what things we were going to do so it wasn't just uh well how do you feel okay good let's no it was well now what what are you doing about that i found that very enlightening to have and i know that having that conversation with other people might not be that easy it might be difficult and i'm thankful that i had someone that asked me that question that I was very open with and that I I felt safe with to be honest about those things but those are conversations that we need to continue to have about what's going on the fifth one is this has to keep going this isn't just a we're done here by acknowledging it once again I'm going to refer to the storm you know, once it goes away, it doesn't mean we're done. There's a lot of cleanup. And for some things, and some people know this, there's still cleaning up that needs to be done from things that have been years in the making and happening. I've seen that when I went down to Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. Went down there a couple months, maybe it was a year after, and... You know, there were still things being done to try and clean up and rebuild and all this. And even today, there is still impact of Hurricane Katrina. So we're talking about a storm and we're talking about how long this has been going on. By breaking the silence, we are going to be able to do a lot more things. But that means we need to start doing some of those things. And not just say, hey, this is bad, but let's go back to our normal programming. No, no, no. We got to change what's on the channel. And we got to turn it into something that we're going to start doing. Not to ignore, not to say, oh, nope, I don't want to watch that anymore. We got to put our focus onto something that's going to address these issues at hand. Which is, This is going to lead into where we go from here. On the next episode of Talking Addiction Recovery, 
I invited two friends of mine to join in a conversation regarding some of these issues. Most importantly, it's to share their voices as black men whom I worked with for years at the group home, who are also two of the closest people in my life who have always supported my voice when it mattered. Now and always their voices matter. So it's going to be really a privilege to use this platform of mine and have their voices shared. More to come. Remember that silence is one of the deadliest ways of keeping secrets. And voicing these issues is really going to be one of the only steps that we can take to start reducing the power and strength that it holds. So to end this segment, I'm going to keep it with this is keep talking. Let's continue to talk just like we do on this talking addiction and recovery. Let's keep the issues that's going on and what's happening going forward so we can reach points where we can work on things, fix things, change things, heal with things, continue to recognize the wounds that are out there that need healing, that people are hurting, that we need to do the things that we need to, but we have to do that by recognizing that it's there, that it's a problem. It's not to be ignored and pushed aside. So acknowledging it by breaking the silence Let's keep talking. Thanks for listening.